Isn't that great? That last line just <sighs> hard to get through that last line. Um, there is another chorus, uh, another verse. Uh, Be near when I am dying, O show thy cross to me. And for my succor flying, come Lord to set me free. These eyes new faith receiving from Jesus shall not move. For he who dies believing dies safely through thy blood. So you got to say that some of those guys back in the dark ages knew Jesus and trusted in him. So let's, uh, let's hear the word of God. Uh, we're working through the book of uh, 1 Peter uh, very slowly. <laughs> you may think that uh, it's very, very slowly, but uh, we're in 1 Peter chapter 1. Um, we're going to look now at uh, verses 20 and 21, but we're going to read from 13 down to uh, uh, 21. Let's hear the word of God from 1 Peter uh, chapter 1, verse 13 and following. <clears throat> Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, You shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as Father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. This is the only God's own word. Please do have a seat. My my dad was not one who liked to write letters, so I didn't get very many letters from him. But one time, I asked my dad for help in building a bookcase. Um, we were going to put it in our upstairs hall because we had all kinds of school books and picture books and all kinds of stuff. And so uh, he sent me uh, plans, and I st hope I still have them, uh, plans how to build a bookcase. But you know, I had a picture in my mind of what that bookcase would look like and it didn't look like anything that I had in my mind when I was done. It was not good looking. Uh, even though my dad had a plan, I kind of didn't follow the plan very well. And so I, um, I found that 
you know, if you if you try to do things and you don't follow the plan, sometimes it doesn't look right. And God's got a plan for us. He tells us to believe in Jesus. And your mom and dad can tell you about that. He tells you to believe in Jesus. Uh, and that's his plan, his plan to save us. So we're going to hear more about that. And it's a story that I love to tell over and over again because it's a story I believe. So let's pray and ask God to help us believe what God says, okay? Father in heaven, we pray that you would help us to believe your word, to believe what your word says about your son, to believe in you, uh, the God who makes this wonderful gospel true because you've done everything needed to be done uh, to save your people. We pray, Lord, that you'll help us more and more to love your word because your word tells us your truth uh, that we live by. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If, um, if you believe in Jesus Christ, if you believe that he's the son of God who takes away sin, uh, you're going to go to heaven. Because that's the gospel. The gospel is about Jesus saving his people from their sins. But if you're a Muslim, you don't have any hope, any assurance. Because you have two angels, one on one shoulder, one on the other shoulder. And they're writing, writing down all the deeds you've done, good, good and bad. And in the end, Allah is going to listen to the angel that has the longest list. And if the list is very long for the bad things you've done, then that's the end of you. That's the end of your hope. Or maybe, maybe you uh, do believe in Jesus and um, you've been like me. You wonder if the time's going to come when you're getting ready to die and your faith just doesn't make it on the faith meter. And God's looking at that faith meter to see if you've done everything you should do. But we've been looking at this section here and it. It's telling us about being holy. And uh, we're wondering, am I going to be holy enough? You know, you can think about it as many people do. I was drawing a, a maze for my one of my grandkids a while back. And uh, when you draw a maze, you, you put in alternative ways to get to the end. There's only one way to get to the end, but you, you have alternative ways. And, and a lot of people think that there are many alternative ways to get to the end. God's going to accept you if you've been a good person, nice person. God's going to accept you if you believe in Allah, or uh, God's going to accept you if you really don't believe in anything, but you're spiritual anyway. Uh, and yet God says there's only one way, and that way is Jesus the roots, a root that God set up. And we come to these verses 20 and 21 and God tells us that that root is the one he set up. Look at them again. 
He, that is Jesus, was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Now, here, here's the end to the section about holy living. The, the reminder that we're to be holy as God's holy. Um, we're, we're to live out our faith in this broken world. And we feel inadequate many times to, to do it. We just don't feel like we're doing very well. And so Peter ends with these encouraging words that we want to look at. We're first of all going to look at verse 20. The content of our faith is Jesus. And we're going to look at verse 21. The certainty of our faith is based on God. Jesus is the content of our faith and God is the certainty for our faith. So verse 20 goes this way. He, Jesus, was foreknown. He was foreknown uh, before the foundation of the world. He was the the lamb slain from before the world began. That's what it says in Revelation 13. Our salvation wasn't an afterthought. It wasn't a plan that God had to come up with because other plans didn't work. Sometimes we think that God is kind of making this up as he goes along. That's what some people sort of think. Um, that God tries it this way. He tried, okay, we got Abraham and, oh, that didn't work out. We've got uh, Isaac and Jacob. That, that didn't work out. We got Joseph. Oh, that didn't work out. We got Moses. That didn't work out. We got David. That didn't work out. And finally, God's, oh, yeah, okay, I'll send Jesus. God had kind of come to the end of his list. And uh, he had to come up with something that would work. But what the Westminster Confession of Faith says, it pleased God in his eternal purpose to choose and ordain the Lord Jesus, his only begotten son, to be the mediator between God and man. It was God's eternal plan. God didn't have some failed plans along the way. God didn't somehow think, oh, this will work, and it didn't work, and so he comes up with another plan. Jesus was foreknown before the foundation of the world. He's the content of our faith. He's the one who is for us the center of what we believe. We come to our judge and creator only through Jesus. Now, if you read the book of Job, you come to chapter 9, and in chapter 9, Job cries out and he says, Who's going to stand between me and God? Who's going to be a mediator between me and God? How can I make my case to God? Because he's so much greater than I am. He's so much more powerful than I am. How can I come to God? Oh, that I had someone to stand between me and God. And God has already provided him. Jesus. He's the comfort for us. It's by his stripes we are healed. Jesus is the one who stands between us and God and offers himself as the satisfaction for our sins. The way that the Puritans used to put it 
is when you pray, your prayers are clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. And sometimes you feel like your prayers are so inadequate, don't you? Sometimes you feel like your prayers just are all jumbled up. And you feel, oh, what I've been like this week, how can I come to God? But your prayers are clothed in Jesus Christ and his righteousness. He is the content, the center, the final word of God as Hebrews. So if I'm to know God, there's only one way I can know him, and that's through his son. And he comes at the time God ordained. Look at verse 20. He was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you. He was made manifest. He was revealed. He was set out. He was disclosed. In Galatians 4, verse 4, Paul writes, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law. God has sent Jesus at the end of the age. This is hard for us to understand. We, we wonder, well, what, what, what does God mean about that? We live in the time when the fullness has come because Jesus is the fullness of God. He came at a particular time to a particular people in a particular place But his coming marks the end of the beginning. (laughs) This is how Churchill said, he talked about the, this is not the end, but this is the beginning of the end. Jesus came, as the Apostle John said, in the last hour. You mean the last hour was back 2,000 years ago? Yeah. Because there are only two points in history before Jesus came and when Jesus returns. When Jesus comes, God kicks off the last hour. We talk about the atomic clock. Oh, no. We're closer to nuclear war. You know, the time's clicking away. But no. No, the real meaning of the last hour is that Jesus has come. Because Jesus has come, that's the change. And Jesus has come in such a real way that Peter himself sees Jesus in glory on the Mount of Transfiguration. Jesus comes in such a real way that after the resurrection, Peter is able to touch Jesus to see the risen Savior. Jesus comes in that way because he is God manifested in the flesh. These days are the last times. You know, our world is always waiting for the next big thing. The age of Aquarius, it used to be. Or the conversion. People talk about the conversion. Or people are looking at the next disaster. Nuclear disaster ecological disaster or something like that. People are always looking at the next big thing. Virtual vision glasses, virtual reality 
and all that stuff. But the next big thing has already come, and that's God come in the flesh. Jesus, the incarnate Son of God, comes in the flesh. That's the really, really world-changing event for us. So Peter says the incarnation of the Son of God was manifested for our sake. Think of that. God had in mind from the before the foundation of the world, before the foundation of the world, to save his people. And that includes you. If you believe in Jesus, God was thinking about you. You hadn't even been born. <laughs> there wasn't even your ancestors alive. Before God had anything made, God was thinking about you and planning for your salvation in the Son of God. The Son of Man, Jesus said, came not to serve but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. And you, in your sin, were lost and needed to be saved. So the Son of God has come because the Father foreknew his people before the foundation of the world. And he knew that nothing, nothing but the sacrifice of his son could save you. Now, people are starting to talk about this idea of a penal substitution, about the sacrifice of the Son of God for his people's sin. And they're not liking it. And an English clergyman put it this way, the idea of God murdering his son for the salvation of the world is barbaric and morally indefensible. It turns Christianity into cosmic child abuse. That's blasphemy. That's against the word of God because God sends his son in love. And Peter proclaims it on the day of Pentecost. He talks about Jesus coming. And Jesus came to die for our sins. So the precious blood of the Son of God, the Lamb of God, foreknown before the foundation of the world, was shed. So that makes your salvation infinitely precious. Do you value your salvation? Do you really value being saved, being delivered from hell? For you, is that a great truth that you hold on to dearly that Jesus has delivered you from sin from the power of Satan and from facing hell is that something precious to you the death of the son of God in our place is something we should hold precious and we should know these things and believe these things because God has done it. Look at verse 21. Certainty of our faith is from God. Who, this is manifested, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Now, the assurance of faith is, as our confession says, not of the essence of the center of faith. Because the reality is 
Remember these guys who framed the confession of faith were pastors and they knew. They knew how people felt. True believers, they wrote in chapter 8. True believers may have the assurance of their salvation diverse ways shaken, diminished, and intermittent. Now, do you have that in your life? I know I've faced that. Things that that shake our faith. So our faith and our salvation is intermittent. It's not constant. It's sometimes diminished. And we begin to tremble a little bit when we come to God. Martin Luther felt this. Martin Luther would run back to the gospel when doubt came into his mind. The gospel carries us back always to Jesus and his work. Has Jesus done the work necessary? Has he paid the price? That's why we sang that hymn. O sacred head now wounded with grief and shame weighed down. Jesus paid the price. That price has already been paid. You come back to Christ. God the Holy Spirit directs our faith always toward Christ. Anything that intermits, that breaks into, that begins to take the place of looking to Christ, you have to flee from. That's why the Roman Catholic Church always leaves you wondering, have you done enough? Have you gone to Mass enough? Have you said the Rosary enough? Do you remember to say our Father enough? Do you have a hope not in what Jesus did, but what you do? It's what the Mormons always do. You know, the Mormons believe in Joseph Smith. They believe in Joseph Smith a lot more than they believe in Jesus. And their cult always keeps them looking at what they've done. Any teaching that keeps us from focusing on Christ is not from God. We are to be the believing in God through Christ ones. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Because Peter proclaimed, there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. And that is the name of Jesus. Is that the name that gives you comfort It's through Jesus that God sends his Holy Spirit to live in his people. Because of that, we come always to God through Christ. Otherwise, we're like people wandering in the desert. We don't have a map. We don't know any of the ways to get out. We're going to die. We're going to die. And that's what Luther felt until he had the gospel revealed to him. We believe that God has raised Jesus from the dead. So we have a living Savior. We don't have a Savior who somehow weakly can save. But a mighty Savior. Peter again and again preached about the resurrection of Christ. He said God raised Jesus up from the dead. Loosing the pangs of death. Because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Jesus couldn't be held by death because he is the Lord of life then he said this Jesus God raised up and of 
are all witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out that which you yourselves are seeing and hearing. And he went on to say, you killed the Prince of Life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. God, having raised up his servant Jesus, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from their wickedness. Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on the tree. God raised, uh, excuse me, God exalted him to his right hand as leader and savior. We are witnesses of all that Jesus did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him up on the third day and made him to appear. So Peter again and again testified that Jesus is the risen Savior. Jesus was raised by the power of God. And so he's the center of our hope. That's how Peter enters, uh, ends verse 21. So that your faith and hope are in God. God raised him from the dead, gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. There's no hope, no faith in yourself. If you look at your own faith, this is something we're tempted to do. If you look at your own faith, you feel like it's a candle in the wind blowing back and forth and sometimes ready to be snuffed out. Our own faith that we look at is not our hope. Our hope is in God. Our hope and faith are in God. We believe that because God has graciously worked, we don't muster up the faith. We don't kind of get the faith on the faith meter somehow up to that mark so that, yeah, God says, okay, you've done it, you've done it. Instead, the Christian has been captured by the Holy Spirit and taught to believe, brought to repentance, and able to stand. I love this picture from C.S. Lewis. He talks about his conversion. He was a student, and he had Christian friends, and, and they were talking to him about Christ. And he talks about the kindness of God receiving him. And he wrote, Who can truly adore that love which will open the high gates to a prodigal himself, who is brought in kicking, struggling, resentful, and darting his eyes in every direction for a chance to escape? The words compel them to come in have been so abused by wicked men that we shudder at them but properly understood, they plumb the depth of the divine mercy. The hardness of God is kinder than the softness of man, and his compulsion is our liberation. What he's talking about is God brings us by his almighty power from deadness and sin to life in Christ. It's his compulsion which is our liberation. God compels us to come. He does it out of kindness. The old writer, Scottish writer, Robert Layton says, we are rebels who become children of God compelled by the powerful, merciful grace of God to lay down our arms and sue for mercy. God does this. 
because we would die if he didn't compel us to come. Our great, our hope and life are in God who compels us to come. Our holiness, the call that Peter has been laying out here, has to be seen always in the light of the gospel. I don't become holy so God will accept me. It's because God has accepted me in Christ by the faith that I have in the Son of God that holiness becomes a way of life for me by the Holy Spirit's power. I have to see my justification, my sanctification, my glorification from first and last are the work of God in me. We live it out by faith. Our Heavenly Father has a blueprint that's perfect. When we try and build our own righteousness, build our own holiness, make ourselves acceptable by the things we do, it's going to look distorted, look twisted. It will fail to please God. But when I look to Christ, then... His plan is worked out in my life. My efforts can never avail, but only what God has done. And so, Paul, like Peter, has a wonderful, glorious picture of this in Ephesians 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for the adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth, because Jesus is the heart of our hope do we believe in God's plan let's pray our father help us to believe in your grace and power which brings salvation to us help us to turn from trusting ourselves and our own ideas our own plans about how we're going to please you to come in the only way possible through faith in your son faith that you have given to us faith which is pleased with Jesus. Help us to be always pleased with your Son. For we pray in his name. Amen.